Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. I am your host, Dr. Pat Basile, and uh, this is one of many hours of radio that I get to do each week, and I love doing every minute of it. If you want to find out more about the Dr. Pat Show, and if you want to find about more about my upcoming guest today, you can do it really easily. You can go to my website, www.drpatshow.com. That's D-R patshow.com check us out click on the link and you will get to uh see who we are featuring tonight on our street smart spirituality hour i am so thrilled to be introducing you to dr john lerner and the reason that i'm thrilled about this is because i love i love talking with people that take this walk in life and along the way discover what their absolutely divine purpose is in life. And we're going to be talking to him uh, about many, many different things, but I want to first introduce you to this incredible book that he has put together. The book is called Into the Light. He is the author of this, uh, Into the Light, Real-Life Stories About Angelic Visits, visions of the afterlife, and other pre-death experiences. So he's joining me here today as someone that got to see death uh, up front, close, and personal during the AIDS epidemic where many of my friends passed away, and he has committed and dedicated his life. Uh, as a doctor uh, in the inpatient medical direct, as the inpatient medical director for the internationally renowned TMC Hospice. And so you're going to be hearing about him, his story. You're going to be hearing about why he has spent the last 10 years of his life caring for terminally ill people and how this has become both a passion and compassion in his life. And so we have this great book to talk about. We're going to be taking your calls with questions that you have about death, about pre-death, about those experiences, about what he has learned and what you can expect. We're going to take these calls throughout the show. So as you listen to the show, if you have a question, if you want to join in, you know the number, 877-876-5227. That is our toll-free number. And we are uh, thrilled to be connecting with you. Uh, Dr. John, thank you so much for joining the show today. Thanks for having me. <laughs> how are you all doing over there? We're, we're doing great. But I need to ask how you're doing. I'm I mean, doing <laughs> you have certainly, as I said earlier in the show, you seem to be one, uh, an individual that has said yes to many, many things in life. Uh, and most importantly, yes to an aspect of our lives that many people don't want to face, and that is death. That's right. And but why did I say yes? <laughs> uh, that's my question. I mean, <laughs> you know, it it, it, it can't uh, be the pay. You know, no, it's not. There's no pay. <laughs> it, it it truly is. It, it's a passion, like anything else, and. It just, uh, it, for me, it, it, it sounds cliche, I guess. Uh, you know, it's one of the things they ask you in medical school. Why do you want to become a doctor? And I just, because that's what I've always wanted to do. And, and, uh, I've, it's basically the same thing with hospice. And when I mentioned that when I was trying to get into med school, uh, they didn't believe me. They don't believe that people have that, or, or I think are born with that passion. And that's what I've learned from my, uh, many, many thousands of my patients who are dying that tell me that the, 
that the uh, secret, or if it is a secret, to having a very peaceful life and even more so a peaceful death, deathful transition, they call it more of a transition because they're still alive. Yes. And, 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 and those are the ones that don't even know it, atheists and all that. He goes, oh, now I know. I'm, I'm alive. I'm going to keep living, John, so I'll come back for you. I'll be talking to you. But but that is that that's what it is. It, it's a true passion that was given to me, I believe, uh, be, you know, before I, uh, I knew even God existed. I sensed it within me. I sensed that I'd uh, been here. Uh, I was sent here. Uh, you know, I was born in a very poor family, down in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas. Um, and many many times within my heart, I just had this yearning to help people. Uh, I was drawn to death, uh, you know, I was, uh, about four years after I was born is when Kennedy was assassinated, and I'll never forget that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, had, it, was some, it just made an impression in my mind, and it was right after that, I'll never forget that, I guess I was three or four years old, that I looked up into the sky, we had just been hit by a hurricane back home, and I looked up into the sky and I go, God, how much longer do I have to be in this body? Uh. And, you know, I... You know, my mom didn't, wasn't that religious or, or spiritual, to say the least. They were just trying to survive. And that came from somewhere. And I finally learned that with my dying patients where it came from. But it obviously, God, uh, I did have a sense, like all of us, very intuitive. And God says, look, I have a lot for you. You're going to learn uh, in this world. In order to have victory, you have to have suffering. And one way or another, we're all are suffering. Even when you think you have it great, there's still a sense of suffering because you're separate from from God. Mm-hmm. And that's what. And, and people don't realize that, but just being on Earth is, is suffering. And uh, of course, many of my patients that I see are really truly suffering. So that you know, to answer your question, uh, it's been a passion all my life. But yes, when the eighth uh, epidemic came in, I was an intern. That was just horrible to watch these patients die. Yes. Oh, my God. The doctors weren't taught. We weren't taught how to treat people at the end of life, how to talk to them just about God, about spirituality. They're telling us, oh, I'm seeing these angels. They're telling me to come. And then the God, you know, we as doctors are saying, oh, no, you're hallucinating. Uh, No, no, no. Go ahead and give them some Haldol or Thorazine. Put the patient down because uh, they're hallucinating. Well... Come on. <laughs> they weren't hallucinating. Now we know because so many doctors now are uh, specializing in this new, new specialty. The Internal Medicine Board, uh, as well as many of the boards, have now concluded and agreed as of last September that hospice and palliative medicine is a specialty, and it is greatly needed. Uh, within that specialty, you have to have a lot of spiritual background, a lot of teaching about religion, you know, all religions, basically. Uh, not just physical, but the emotional, spiritual, and social. And so there's very few of us, but the ones that are there now are starting to see this. These repeated um, uh, supernatural events, if you will. What was it like for you, you know, Dr. Lerma, what was it like for you coming out of the gate into mm-hmm. your practice and mm-hmm. what you were faced with, with what is what we now know as the AIDS epidemic? But at the time, 
um, it's clear we didn't know a lot about it. You no. know, what was that like for you? I mean, you talk about having a training ground for the passion of our life. I mean, God plopped you in to probably the fastest-paced learning experience one could ever have around death. Oh, yes. And, you know, just, I mean, to go back, how was it mm-hmm. as an intern? Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell, just tell you this thing. The World Health Organization was traveling back then in the late 70s, early 80s, around every medical school. They made it an emergent, urgent uh you know, thing they had to do. And what did they? What were they doing? They were coming and telling us, all medical students, even first years, we think that the world is going to be, at, by the year 2005 or so, 50% infected. This, <laughs> this is what they were telling us. Mm. The world was in dire, I mean, straight, you know, unless something happened. But they really believed that. And there's really nothing. We don't know what's going on. Uh, and so you'd walk into these rooms dressed in these gowns, almost like those suits that you see those when there's chemicals spilled. Yeah, it's like in a horror movie. Oh, it, it was just, and that to me, I'll never forget that. I have this vision of my first AIDS patient. Alone in a room, people are scared, and some people didn't want to go in, others did, and that poor person is just there wanting to be touched and loved. And no one knew what to do. Well, you know what? I went in there. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was then, and the doctors were all upset with me and all this and and uh, but you know what i I quickly got a reputation as okay, well, there's this doctor, he's going to do whatever. Well, you know what? There were a few doctors that were so careful that ended up getting AIDS themselves, just probably from worrying about it too much and uh i mean i i I touch you i you know it, it I was always knew I always knew that God would protect me, I always knew the way it was transferred. I always knew, you know, they used to say, they used to think that there was a a sperm antibody that mm-hmm. would cause AIDS. It wasn't even the virus. It was really weird. They were coming up with weird theories. Oh, yeah. And I'm going, wait, it is a virus. I mean, that's my gut feeling as a doctor. It's got to be a virus. But there was all this, this ignorance out there amongst the doctors, and there still is, to tell you the truth. Well, there there is, and, and you know, for you, that had to be that experience. The reason I ask you that question is because I believe that each and every one of us, all of the listeners listening to the show, we have great listeners, by the way, but great. everyone out there listening to the show, you get to a point in your life where you're at a crossroads. And the crossroad that you get to be at, and you get to many different, I believe you get to many different crossroads, and I think one of the crossroads is death or, trans, or, or transition, whatever one would like to call it. But I think we're all faced with decisions in our lives where we get to say yes to a bigger picture, even if it's in the trivial moments of an of a, 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 a telephone call that is annoying to you. There is a moment of light in that phone call. And you're exactly right. You know? And so when I look at the book and I've read the book and the stories in it, what I have appreciated about your journey is that, and you only shared a handful of stories, albeit powerful, a handful of the people that you've been able to connect with. Mm. Every story points to that particular moment in life mm. where we get to make a decision. That's exactly right. You're so right. 
and it's like that for everybody. And the only difference is, is okay, everyone's going to have to make that decision. Is when do you want to make that decision? And that's what my patients are saying. Do you want to do it on your deathbed? Mm. Which is tough. And which, by the way, is how most people do it now. Mm-hmm. And my my goal is, and, you know, I know in the book I mentioned that seeing a few hundred patients, maybe a thousand or so. The reality is that I've seen over 30,000 patients. Wow. Okay. The publishers didn't want me to put that in there. I have no clue why. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, I was just going to ask you, you know, why didn't they want you to put that in there? Because does it seem like 30,000 patients uh, is a number that people are not going to believe? I, I'm sure that's what it was all about. So they had me just, and I go, fine, whatever. When I've... When I finally talk to people, I'll tell them the truth. <laughs> exactly. And, <laughs> but that is the reality of someone that, you know, steps into their, into their true being and their purpose. I, I've done two shows today. Uh, I've actually done, this is my sixth show today. Oh, my but God. Two of them today were on purpose and living uh-huh. purposefully. And, uh-huh. and so, you know, so your book, Into the Light, Mm-hmm. Um, and what you've described, not only from your own perspective, but you know the sheer uh, wor- the sheer volume of emotions that right. get felt through reading this book of the many many people. And, and we're going to talk about some of these stories, but right. I, I want to get back to you because I want my listeners to get a sense of who you are. At the beginning right. of the book, mm-hmm. you open the book up. With uh, you've written um, a verse in the book, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, I would like to read it. I don't expect you to have the this in front of you, but I would like to read it and talk with Hopefully. you about this. I'd love that. Thank okay. you. Okay, and this is what you say: Our love is our love is with wholeness and interconnection. Our separateness is but fear. Our birth, our death, our birth. And so goes this exhilarating play of God. I love that. I wrote that. (laughs) I've read this 60 times. (laughs) You're the only person that has finally (laughs) acknowledged it. Thank you. (laughs) Well, what I want to ask you about is... When you wrote this, first of all, I want to ask you, where did you hear the words from? And then when you wrote this, what were you feeling? Well, I, uh, first of all, I, you know, I wrote this after the book. Once I had finished the story, mm-hmm. then I started talking to more and more people and reading more and, and talking to my mom. My mom... Uh, you know, I'm part Japanese, and uh, my mom's Japanese, and my dad's Hispanic. Uh, she's Buddhist. He's Catholic, so I'm I'm a Buddha calf, I guess. Oh, they're very good. I'm <laughs> <laughs> a, a, a new new age Buddha calf, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, so uh, that that poem is really it really comes from it's Buddhist more than anything. It's mm-hmm. it's the way my mom thinks, and she and I were just talking about that. And there was this one person in in particular uh, who was just, he, he was a, um, 
a physicist, and you know, I have a physics background, quantum physics background. So a lot of those words also are sort of physics in nature, quantum in nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yes, I started thinking, oh my God, what's really, everyone's connected. You know, it, our interconnected is, but it's whole. It, it's whole and it's made with love. And that is what it is because another word for love is God. And people are so scared. And that's where that second sentence comes in. Mm-hmm. That sentence, our separateness is but fear. People today are separated. People come in, they have houses, garages, with a garage door opener, this technology is leading us into a separateness. Even within our own home, more and more homes have four or five bedrooms, six bedrooms. When I was, when I had a house, it was just two bedrooms, <laughs> you know, and that was it. It was our living room, actually not even, our living room and the bedroom, that was it. Mm-hmm. We all had to see each other, We're, we, we forced each other to be around each other. Uh, we had issues that were fixed almost immediately. But technology really, without spirituality, is leading us away from that that wholeness and that interconnection. It's bringing about separateness. And what does that bring about? Fear. Mm. And then, but the bottom line, here we go. We're born, we die, and we're born again. And, and, and it's this play. It's, it's a whole play of God. It's, you know, it's like a William Shakespeare kind of a quotation. And, and I think it, says, it just really says a lot. Once you read the book and you, then you go back and look at, read that poem, I think you'll take a lot from that. And that's actually what I did, Dr. Lerma. I want to mention to everyone that's tuning in right now, uh, you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show. Oh, boy, my very special guest today, Dr. John Lerma, who's joining me here. Uh, and we are talking about his book, which is the basis of the conversation, but it's a bigger conversation than that. The book is Into the Light, Real-Life Stories About Angelic Visits, Visions of the Afterlife, and Other Pre-Death Experiences. I was just reading from the front of the book, the introduction, because I did exactly what you said. I did read the book, and then I went back. And uh, and and it, it and I read it actually before I read the book, and then I read the book and I went back. And once you read some of these stories, uh, they are so moving uh, that when you go back to to really to contemplate. Uh, birth, uh, birth, death, and birth again and again. You know, it does allow us to think about not only how the physical form changes, but how within one's lifetime we go through cycles of birth, death, and birth. Oh, yes, death. You're right. In this life, how many times do we do that? More times than I can, you know, even <laughs> begin to want to talk about on this show. And you know what? And, and 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 that's beautiful because that's what these my patients tell me. That is what it's about. It's about getting out there, facing your fear, getting out there and being born and dying and being born. That's the only way you're going to achieve the victory, you know. And uh, it, it really is. I mean, if you stay in the midline, if you stay safe all the time, play safe, hey, God still loves you. The angels still love you. Everyone loves you. You know, the universe loves you. But what it is is that it's really in the end, like my patients say, the only person you're hurting is yourself. It's not a contest out there. It's not like, oh, okay, if I'm safe, I'm going to make it to heaven. Really, when you finally do make it to that nirvana or whatever it is, you're going to say, oh, my God, why didn't I take a chance? 
to find out what this life is about. Why didn't I go to India or why didn't I go to Nepal? Why didn't I just go to my next door neighbor's house and say hi because I never get to see them and it's been six years. Mm. The doors will open and the love, we have to get into that interconnectedness, but it has to start within ourselves. And throughout the book, I'm sure you picked that up, all my, the one common factor was that you've got to love yourself, you've got to face your fear, you've got to forgive yourself every day, no matter what it is you've done. I mean, I've had, mur- you know, there's a story of a murderer in that, in that book. Mm-hmm. And he did have a hard time. Yes, there are consequences. There is a darkness. But that darkness comes from him. And it is up to him, and the spiritual entities are helping him, trying to love himself as they are trying to help all of us, all our viewers, everybody. We're in the same boat, okay? But if we try, we have to try to love ourselves first before we love anyone else. But I guarantee you one thing. If you love yourself, you don't even have to worry. It's automatic. You will love other people. And we know those kind of people. We, We see those people day to day. And, our, and your life will change. I mean, if you yeah. love, you know, I mean, it's not just love everybody that's close to you that you, you know, have a really good time hanging out with, but, you know, love Amen. thine enemy. I Amen. mean, when we're looking at the world, you know, we get to have this choice about how mm-hmm. open we're going to be. You know, when you first decided to make I, I love the story of Ricardo. I wonder if you wouldn't mind sharing that, because I got this sense um, from the book that that was really a tipping point for you. Yeah, the, Ricardo, the, the gentleman that had the heart attack with a... With a quarter. Team, with a quarter? Oh, yeah. What what a... Man. What a, what a beautiful story, yes. And he was he was along the line with the AIDS patients. I've had some some stories from AIDS patients as well, as well that had died and come back. Uh-huh. And uh, the near-death versus the pre-death. And, and just real brief, the, do you know the difference? Between near death and pre death? No, right? and that's what I would hope that you would talk about. Yeah. yeah, and just real briefly before I get into the quarter, but near death, we hear about it all the time. And that's, uh, you know, Raymond Moody's the one that coined that term. And, uh, and his patients would come to him, they tell him, hey, look, I had a heart attack and I died immediately. And I went out of my body and I saw people working on my body in the emergency room or wherever. Then I was pulled towards this light and in that light beings talked to me and they had all kinds of prophetic uh you know messages and uh and, and it's basically life-altering for these people but they would all of a sudden we'd bring them back and i've had those patients in the ER that i shock and they come back just like this guy we're going to talk about and uh and they come back and they tell us a story okay that's great i think some uh, it happens to a lot of people i think it's it's great, but how do you know for sure that that's what they're saying? Mm-hmm. How do we know for sure that they really, that maybe the heart is beating so light that our machines aren't sensitive enough to pick it, pick up on it? Who knows what it is? But I will tell you one thing. Pre-death is totally different. It's exactly that. Before death, having experiences before you die. In other words, you're awake, you're talking, you're alert. You don't even have to be dying at that moment, okay? Basically, we, it's all subjective. You and I can have a pre-death experience today and not die for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Because we are, we all are getting ready to die. We are all in a pre-death 
phase, okay? Some kids see angels all the time. I was just talking to these little kids with cancer. They said, oh, yeah, I've seen them since I was three years old. Well, they're very innocent. They're very in tune with the non-linear conscious side of the world, another dimension, if you will. And, uh, and of course, as we, we get tainted as we get older and we start fearing, so it blocks off that ability to see until you get ready to die. And something, and that's what we're trying to do research on. We, something's going on right before people die, minutes to hours to days, and I'm sure many of the, of the listeners, maybe yourself, we know of somebody like that that was really tired, and all of a sudden they woke up either minutes before they died or days before they died, almost seemingly like they were going to get better. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's a surge of energy. It's that last miraculous, supernatural energy that's given by God on the other side. Absolutely. A very dear friend of mine, and, you know, from a medical point of view, Mm -hmm. it was really clear she was Mm -hmm. going to die. Uh, I think endometrial cancer, and she had been almost coma-like. And all of a sudden, uh, myself and a friend of mine, we went to visit her. She sat straight up in the bed and started to talk to me, both emotionally. uh, uh, She was from Colombia. Emotionally, uh, part of it was in Spanish. uh, The other Mm -hmm. part was in English. But it was as if she is getting out of the bed and life is, and that's it. it, it it's incredible. Yeah, it, it is. It, it, it is incredible, and I've seen, of course, thousands of that, of those things. At first, at the beginning, I, you know, I've, I've always been, nothing surprises me. Uh, but, and I, but I found it more incredible. I said, wow, this is pretty cool. And no one had put words to it. No one even knew what to say. No, I, I did, I, we didn't have a clue, honestly. You know, that was just up until a few years ago. Mm. But even today, doctors, very few doctors will. But, uh, you know, like Dr. Bruce Grayson, he's a pretty cool doc. Uh-huh. You know, and uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Gary Schwartz, that psychologist, he's doing awesome work in the field as well. Um, have you ever heard of Diane Archangel? Um, she's written uh, books with Raymond Moody. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, she, she was a chaplain, and she used to work actually in the hospice that I worked at here at the Medical Center in Houston. And so she's written books, and she was drawn to that as well. She was before I was, and then I was drawn. That facility I work has a lot of incredible energy. Uh, every room has a different... Uh, I don't know what it is, but different beings that are in there doing different work. But, uh, but uh, you know, then that's what I'm trying to get at. It is, it is so incredible uh, of what's going on that all of these people are seeing the same thing at the very end as they're surging. And this surge, I know now, medically, we've gotten that down to the science. It, can, it probably will last no less than five seconds, okay, all the way up to two weeks. Right. But on the average, it's somewhere about a day, less than a day, maybe a few hours. And we don't know. We don't know what's causing it. But until we we started doing PET scans, we did what a a PET scan is for the people that don't know uh, out there, you know, listeners. It's something like an MRI that looks at your brain or any part of your body. In fact, now they're, they're offering, you hear about these PET scans around, hey, come and have a physical, get a PET scan done, 
it picks up hot spots around your body to determine if something's wrong. Right, exactly. Including tumors or heart disease. It's supposed to be that, that, you know, perfect thing to find something. Well, hey, I said, let's go ahead and do a PET scan on the brain of a person having a vision. Let's see what's lighting up. Well, we know what happens when they're having delirium or hallucinations. They're totally disoriented, totally. They don't make sense. Uh, their their visions or whatever they are seeing are of uh, usually environmental objects here on Earth. Uh, if they do see people, it's always living members, never a deceased member. It's rarely a spiritual entity. Um, after the episode is over, which is usually due to dehydration or a lot of pain medication, uh, they don't remember. They cannot recall one iota of the whole experience. A vision or a pre-death experience or a nonlinear conscious awareness, however you want to call it, these people are like you and I. Yeah, they're they're on their deathbed. They're you know they're sick, but they're awake. They're talking and they're going, "Hey, Doctor Lerma." And they're asking you questions. And in yeah. some cases, it's yeah. as if that they have been there laying in bed. Everybody has been around them, taking care of them, as if they cannot hear a single word that you're saying to them. And when they're having what you're what we're referring to right now as a pre-death experience, it's almost as if they have absorbed everything that has been going on. And what they're giving, at least my experience, is they're giving you the bullet points of what you need to know. Well, and, and yeah, and I took it a step further. I said, guys, if they are seeing something, uh, you know, Brian Weiss did that. It, it, uh, Dr. Brian Weiss is yep. a psychiatrist. Yes. And he started interviewing these people who were having, uh, I guess, reincarnated or so forth, mm-hmm. something like that. But he didn't believe it at first. And so he started doing more and more, and he says, I got an idea. If you are reincarnated, or if you think you're in another place, then maybe I can push you forward on your last life to see how you died. And and lo and behold, he found out he could do that, and he was finding out uh, all these people's problems. Some of them, you know, they, they had fear of being in closed, closed places, so that one person that he pushed forward found out she was in Mount Vesuvius, she drowned, and apparently once they talked about it, she got better. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing with the pre-death. I'm going, okay, you're seeing you're talking to the other side. Well, and they're here. Let me ask them questions through you. And so that's what I was doing. That's what a lot of the book came from, a lot of the, the answers. I would ask the patient, I would leave a list and say, please ask your angels or whoever it is to answer some of these. So I'd come back the next day and it'd be written or I'd leave a, you know, I'd record it or whatever. And it, the answers were basically, you know what, we know everything within our gut feeling. There was, mm-hmm. there was really nothing that surprised me, and that was the message of a lot of the, the spiritual entities. But, but basically, just to get back, that's the most beautiful part: is is that you will be able to talk to the other side only if uh, the patient trusts you. But many patients will not tell very many people for fear of being criticized. Well, and, you know, it's clear that in the work that you said yes to, and I want to get back to Ricardo because I think his story will, you know, demonstrate for our listeners why this is this is an area that you've stepped into. Well, yeah, Ricardo was, uh, I can't remember exact uh, age, but probably up there in the 70s. 82, I thought. 82, okay. 
And uh, this was in, in Austin. You know, I actually changed them, but it was actually in Austin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I changed some names around, right. <laughs> places around to protect yep. everybody. But really, it did occur in, in Austin during my internship there. And uh, we covered about 12 counties. Well, it was a very busy night, uh, and there had been this huge car car wreck where there were several people that died and were brought in. And there was only uh, three doctors, uh, and I was the intern, and the other two people were more seasoned. So they took, you know, it's triage. You had to triage. So the, the ones with a greater chance of survival got uh, the top docs, uh, and, and they did a good good job. Well, here comes the seven, some 80-some-year-old gentleman with all of the kind of problems, alcoholic. Uh, well, he's having chest pain, apparently had a heart attack. Bring him into the trauma room. Well, he starts coding on me. So, I, you know, long story short, just trying to make it not too long, but, you know, I had to shock him. Yes. So I shock him to bring him back. We all know what that looks like. Yeah. And so we shock him and I bring him back. Okay. Well, that, that, you know, that was actually one of my, probably the third time I've ever done that. And it was, it's always really rough watching a patient do that. But, you know, we didn't have time to sedate him because he was just out. His, he, he was actually in fibrillation to a flat line. Well, I got a rhythm. He came back. And in Spanish, he's saying, oh my God, oh my God. He goes, it felt like a roller coaster. It felt like a roller coaster. And, uh, you know, several other times he went again out, and he finally came back out to where I could ask him enough. uh, And I was interested. I said, what do you mean by a roller coaster? He goes, yes, I was flying. I was out of my body, and when you would shock me, it would bring me back. It just sucked me down like a roller coaster ride. And that feeling you get in your stomach where it goes up, that's what I would feel. Wow. And, uh... And since then, I've heard other people tell me that, <laughs> and and I go, well, I thought it, you know, I thought maybe I'd, I'd burned you with the panels. He goes, no, that didn't bother me. It was coming back down. So we, you know, he was weak. You know, he was he was able to tell me a lot of this stuff, and I was just trying to keep him engaged. I try to do that with my patients. And again, he finally went out, and 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 things got worse. So we, he finally went to the ICU. He had a, you know many medications and did eventually had a heart bypass but he survived and uh and when he was back on the unit i remember walking and taking up all the patients i had admitted from the emergency room and he saw me and he's waving me down man here's this guy who had a massive heart attack (laughs) out of his body had been dead i actually tried to revive him probably three or four times with high high amount of energy uh hit on his chest and there he is, Dr. Larima, come see me. He knew I was rounding. He goes, I need to see you first. So he, he pulls me in and he goes, Dr. Larma, remember we were talking about the roller coaster ride? And I go, yes. He goes, could you do me a favor? I need to know that this was true. I, I, I have a feeling that it is, but there's one thing you could tell me that would really make it true for me. And I go, well, what is that? I go, boy, I'd want to know. He goes, there was a corridor up on the monitor that was about eight or nine feet that you were looking at every time you shot me because I could see you. And by the way, he counted the exact number of people and he looked at our badges and he called. He was able to uh, uh, recollect everybody's name. Wow. Isn't that incredible? And uh, so he goes, there's a corridor, a 1985 corridor. I even looked at the date. On the right lower-hand corner, there's a little bit of dust. And then I go, could you please go and find out if it's there? 
And, uh, you know, the trauma center had only been built probably less than two years ago. Um, he'd never worked in construction. This man was just too old anyway. So it's not like he planted the quarter oh, up there. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah, and it was but, so high up that nobody would have paid any attention but, to it. But you know what? There's people out there that will say, oh, he did that. <laughs> <laughs> I go, I don't think so. Okay. I you know. uh, but, uh, so, but I tell him, I go, really? How, are you telling me you were out of your body and you consciously are saying, okay, I need to look for something because I know I'm going to come back and I want some proof? And he goes, Bottom line, yes. Well, how didn't you know you were going to come back? Well, because I was talking to God and the angels and everybody. I was negotiating. Wow. And, and that was the original name of the, of the book. It was going to be Negotiating with Angels, because that's really what everybody does. Well, that's chapter one in the book. Yes. And so I, I put it in there, though. <laughs> they they came up with Into the Light, but I, I went ahead and put the, that uh, Negotiating with Angels in there. So did so you I, go back and find the quarter? So I go to the emergency room, we get on, I tell all the nurses, we get up on the ladder, and there it is, right lower right-hand corner, 1985, just like you said, and dust. What did you say to the nurses? Oh, I didn't have to say anything. I showed it to them, and they freaked out. But because we hear of that all the time, it, it really didn't, yes, some of them freaked out, but for the most part, they go, wow. Well, it is incredible. Isn't God incredible? And then all of a sudden, boom, here comes a guy coming in to die. It's just we don't have enough time to to sit down and talk about it. No, there are moments where you get to recognize it, and then the field that you're in, you have to move on. Uh, You know, I wanted to talk to about you, uh, about negotiating with angels, because, you know, my guest today, Dr. John Lerma, is joining me here today. The book is called Into the Light, Real Life Stories About Angelic Visits, Visions of the Afterlife and Other Pre-Death Experiences, incredible stories in the book, each of them different and unique. But the the fact that you wanted to talk about, you even wanted to call the book Negotiating with Angels, I mean, that chapter got my attention because I, I believe that the conversation of angels cuts across many cultures, cuts across many different aspects of people in this world. And the fact that you're even bringing to the table that we can negotiate with angels, I think, is is <laughs> remarkable. Yeah, it, it transcends all cultures, uh, all religions, everything. And uh, it, it is it is incredible. And uh, I guess after about twenty, thirty thousand interviews, I, I think there is. <laughs> I think that is what is what occurs. And uh, and I'm very privileged and honored to to be a part of that. And that is why I had to write this book. And and it didn't come from me. It came from patients. Patients tell me, Dr. Marma, tell the people, tell the kids, let everybody know. No one's teaching us about what's happening at the end of life. All America is doing is trying to keep us alive longer, looking better. And there's nothing wrong with that, but no one's talking about our mortality. And, and, and at the end, this is what happens. So what what happens at the end? You negotiate. And the negotiations can be very... So everybody listening to this show, what you're probably going to want to do is go on the Internet and look for the top negotiating classes that you can find. (laughs) I'm telling you. You We we all need to get negotiation (laughs) training. (laughs) <laughs> I'm telling you, we we need we do need to be diplomats. <laughs> you 
know, I think our politicians need need to take that course too. But uh, but it, it is beautiful, and and I know you love that story. It's it's that little nine year old boy. Yes. And uh, who had who was blind? Uh, he had cancer of his eyes. They took his eyes out. And he it's a sad story. I mean, it's it's. Yeah. I mean, you you this, these stories. Uh, you know, I read these stories with you know tears in the corner of my eyes as I'm reading yeah. them. But at the same time, they are so wonderfully hopeful for so many people. It, it, it is, and that is you know that is the message. The message that I have, and it's not me. I, I'm just. I wanted to tell the story of the patients. I wanted to give. I didn't want to make this about me, but about the patients, and it is a story of hope, faith, and love, and there, and that God is not that God of fire and brimstone. All of them told me that. The Baptist ministers, the atheists, the Nazis, the murderers, the Catholics, the Catholic priests, that, oh my God, we need to stop making God look like He's going to judge us and condemn us because that is not what God is. That is a man-made way of looking at God, and that's what—that's the message. It's it, it, through all the stories, is that He will love us. They are loving us, but we need to start learning how to love ourselves the way He loves us. And once that happens, the transition is going to be easy. And and who knows? We're going to evolve. I guess be able to come back and forth. That's what patients of mine were telling me. You know, when when I look at this book, and there are many stories, I want to make sure our listeners know how to find out more about you in the book. Um, let's take a minute and give out the website uh, so that folks <clears throat> can find out more sure. about the book and more about you. And what's the best way for them to get a copy of it? Okay. Well, the best way is to just get either go Amazon.com in, into the light, or if you want to learn a little bit more about me, myself, and the book, uh, drjohnlerma.com, and that's dr. I like doctor, and then J O H N L E R M and Mary A dot com, drjohnlerma.com, dot com, and and it'll have a link to Amazon there for you. And I'm going to get be having a vlog here soon, and Great. I'm going to start putting in there a lot of new information on the studies we're doing, including that PET scan, and and also to answer people's questions. Well, I think people do have questions. I don't know if any of our listeners out there have a question, but, boy, this would be the guy to ask. If you do, 877-876-5227, 877-876-5227, uh, give us a call, and uh, we'll take your questions and see if we can get some answers uh, for you. Well, it would be great to, just to talk about it. You know, I, I just wanted to go back real quick on that pet skin. I, I didn't really get tell the best part of it yes please <laughs> well, do when that when that lady was having or that person was having the the supposed hallucinations which my doctor friends called it well i think it was a vision of god and the angels well what we saw was that the temporal lobes were totally lit and what a pet scan does it, it goes by blood flow it picks up wherever the blood flow is the greatest uh through sugar through a sugar, the sugar molecules okay and and so whatever's working the most, either a cancer molecule or an infection or your brain, per se, it's going to light up a certain color. And that's what's beautiful about the PET scan. So if you have a heart disease, it'll light up in that certain artery that's the problem. For this man, that, for this person that was having this vision, the temporal lobes lit up like, oh, my God. And so what do we know about the temporal lobes? We know that the temporal lobes are now, now, 
they are responsible for our our, our paranormal abilities, such as uh, ESP, um, which is telekinesis, and and so forth. Uh, some even people talk about remote that remote viewing stuff. But uh, and you know, there's a, there's a movie about that that you know it's a little far fetched, but it was uh, John Travolta in Phenomenon. Oh yes. Well, he had a tumor that invaded uh, into the temporal lobe, and and of course it's exaggerated, but that's what it's like. He was able to have he had all these abilities, and uh, you know, how much of our brain do we really use? And and uh, I really don't know how they figure this out, but I was talking to this uh, neuro neurosurgeon, and he goes, "Look, just trust me. <laughs> it is less than it's really about three to five percent of our brain that we use." How can we, and he and I were talking and my patients were talking, how can we think, stand there and think, these scientists know that we know everything about the brain? And, uh, and what are they saying? Well, no, these visions aren't visions. They're hallucinations. It's chemicals and gases at the end of life that are somehow rewiring the neurons to, to remind us of, of what our, of our culture or what we were taught and the people that have died. And that's all it is. There's no God. And I, and so one person responded to that. I asked one person who was dying. I always take it back to my patients. And they go, oh, yes, that's the way it works, Dr. Lerma. But the next question is, who created that? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, so uh, you know, I had an interview with, in, on a uh, radio show in, in Manhattan not too long ago. And the guy really tried to... You know, to to get me all riled up with it, and he goes, he went with his whole spiel, and I go, "You're right," and he goes, "Oh, you just messed up my whole program. I was supposed to get you all excited," <laughs> and and I go, "No, you are totally right. We know that the temporal lobes are responsible, and you know what? That is just a temporal lobe. I did a PET scan on one person that the whole brain lit up. Now, when they're having confusion and confusional states or just a normal state, very limited sections of the brain are lit up. So it's very obvious that the whole brain is working at the very end of life, therefore almost 90 to 100%. So maybe it has these abilities, we have these abilities to see our loved ones that are on the other side that are probably right next to us, but we can't see them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. and And that's what the studies are... And from a medical standpoint, that's what Bruce Grayson is working on. He has a huge grant. Uh, people are acknowledging this now. What do you believe? You know, I mean, there is incredible work out here. The fact that there is research, you know, clearly we're getting the attention of many, many people. You know, what would you say in writing this book into the light? And I know you had to pick really a handful of people from all of the people you've been in front of. What would you say is the most unbelievable story in this book? Oh, gosh. Really, they're all beautiful. I guess it, it just depends on... Uh, your own personal life for me I really liked that I, I loved the little kid okay the story but for me it was the Nazi oh it, it was just incredible and probably because I'm I love history and I still marvel at how people followed what Hitler wanted them to do how large numbers of people were able to kill so many people 
and so for me, that's always been something just within me. How could someone? How could that happen? And can that happen again? Well, here here comes this guy from Argentina to MD Anderson. You know, the number one cancer student in the world. Everyone tries to come here. Comes here finding the cure. Okay, they rarely do, but they do come here, and I end up uh, end up seeing them at the end of their life. And you know, this man was no 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 different. And uh, he came from Argentina, and he was German, and his wife was Jewish. They had Jewish children and uh, a philanthropist, very wealthy. And as he's dying, uh, he goes into a coma. He comes back out of it after about two or three days, and he is during the, the coma. He's making comments about uh, Hitler and all these army salutations, like "Hi Hitler" and all this. And he was real worried when he came out of it. He goes, "Was my family around?" When I was saying this, please don't tell him. Well, well course, that that's the guilt and shame. Yeah, exactly. And, of course, at the very end, everybody found out, and he goes, please, will you tell everybody my story? And and uh, just so that everybody knows, I'm not <laughs> violating what he's Right, right, right. Uh, but it, it was. And he, the, the incredible part, he says, while he was gone for three days, he told me it was several hundred years to thousands of years, and that he was out. He was in a dark cave, okay, and in that dark cave, Besides other Nazi soldiers that had killed others, there were Roman soldiers, which I thought was really interesting. And uh, apparently the people around him were people that had committed mass murders. Um, and the one thing that they would feel constantly, and, and I guess this is like, it, like hell, but it, he wasn't dead yet. This is all in his mind. And our mind is just incredible. And so... He felt like it was time. Time had just slowed down for him, and it seemed like it was forever. And the long story short, he did feel everybody's pain at the same time, and the angels came and told him, you don't need to feel that pain. You can either let it go, learn to forgive yourself, love yourself the way God does, and come on with us. Let's go party. You know? But he, he says, I don't. No, I can't. I have to feel what they felt. I feel too bad. My guilt, my... So he was punishing himself. Absolutely. And, and But the angels are saying, you don't have to. Right. But still, you know, in order for him to... You know, we can't forgive ourselves on a day-to-day -day basis for eating no. chocolate. Oh, God. Let alone for, that? you know, oh, the atrocities yeah. that we're talking about. Yeah. And, and And, you know, yeah, and... And one of the, the ladies that he had uh, escorted into the showers was the lady helping him up there uh -huh. and, and, uh, and did. And so she let him go through that phase. And, of course, he said that all at one time, all at one time, every single pain, every single death, every single feeling of all the people he had killed or indirectly killed, he felt second to second. And it, not only... Did he feel their pain? But he was also, he retained who he was. So here in his mind, it's almost schizophrenic. He's hearing all the screams and, please, sir, please don't kill us. And then he's saying, yes, I have to kill you because I have to save my wife, who's Jewish, because if I don't save, because if I don't uh, kill you, they're going to kill my wife. And that is how Hitler did. And that's why this book is about choices. It, and in the end, what it Remember what it said? He goes, God and the angel said, look, if you 
Well, he learned. He goes, you know what? Now I know what God means by, you know, those who save their lives. And it's metaphorical, but those who save their lives will lose it, and those who lose it will save it. And we don't really ever die, and he finally understood that. And he understood that even if he had chosen not to do it, someone else would have taken that position. Apparently, that plan was destined. It was a destined plan by humanity, not by God, but by humanity, and that God was working some incredible plan that I, I still don't understand it, but he did at the very end. And he did find his, his love. He did find his forgiveness. All the people that he killed, when he forgave himself, they surrounded him and had this incredible party of love. Of, he said it was just incredible. So is that the message we want to leave people with? Uh, you know, the book, uh, my guest today, Dr. John Lerma, the book Into the Light, uh, you know, what what's the message? What What do we want people to know? about this book and about their lives and their deaths. Yeah. You know, it, it, it really is simple, and we talk about it every, every day, but I, I think it, it, it is. It's about love, forgiveness, peace, okay? We talk about it all the time. But really, we do. Move, we talk, 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 but the question is, do we ever do anything? Yeah, and, but here, here and, and I'm not trying to scare anybody, but here's the bottom line. It's good and bad because we all are going to die. And you, some of these, some people watching, someone may be dying, their parents or something today, or they may die tomorrow. We don't know. But here's the thing. If you, tonight, I would ask everyone that's listening, just to close their eyes and just say, I love who I am with its challenging parts and with its strong parts. I just love who I am because that is how I was made. And, I, and if I don't die tomorrow, I just need to continue loving myself. And once I do, let me start doing little acts of unconditional kindness. You know, acts of kindness go so far. And not because, oh, I want to have an easy death, but because that's the right thing to do. And you know what? And if, you don't, if, if we don't know how to do it, if you just keep doing it and doing it and doing it, it becomes familiar. That all of a sudden, it's second nature. And, and so... Doing those things, loving yourself, will eventually bring peace to the world, will definitely give you an easy transition to God. We will still have a nice transition to God, but it will give you such a better transition. And we can leave our, our survivors, our children, our parents, anyone, teachings about, look, love me, let me go. And, it, and it's those people that don't let people go when they're dying, that those are the people that need to know also that they have a fear inside them. And that fear comes from not knowing what's at the end of this, of our world. And what's at the end of the world is that that's the beginning of our world. And I would tell you, I, I was a skeptic, and I've seen this time and time again. It is a rule rather than an exception in seeing supernatural events on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, just yesterday, family came out and said they saw balls of light coming out of their mom's chest as she died, and it, they circled the bed and they went out. I've heard that about a hundred times. There's many, many supernatural events occurring. And so I know there's something there. As Einstein said, energy is neither created or destroyed. It changes form. So let's take a little insurance, the insurance that doesn't cost us anything. We take life insurance, health insurance, car insurance. Why? Because we're scared that something might happen. Well, you know what? 
the best insurance is the afterlife insurance. And all that uh, all that takes is to love yourself. And if you don't know how, get some books, read some books, read this book, talk to family. Your show is awesome. You're off, you know, you bring a lot of love with the show, and I think that's awesome that your viewers are listening to this. Uh, well, I want to thank you. This is one of these books that, as I said before, I loved reading, uh, and some of the, the, I felt like I get to meet some of the people that you have been able to nurture and hold close to your life as they made their transition. Dr. John Lerman, thank you so much for joining oh, this show today. Well, God bless you and everybody out there, and uh, you know, I hope, hope to talk to you again soon, okay? Absolutely. I want to make sure everybody knows that you can uh, find out more about uh, Dr. Lerner and, Lerma and the book uh, if you just go to his website, which is pretty incredible in itself, and really look forward to the blog that he's going to put up. You could go to drjohnlerma.com, that's L-E-R-M-A.com, and find out more about the work he's doing, more about Into the Life and get yourself a copy of this book. It will definitely open the door for another way of thinking about death, birth, uh, transition, and much right. more. Thank yeah. you I, so much, Dr. Well, John. I wanted to let you know that, yeah, Oprah's uh, called, and I think they're going to have a, a big, a big uh, group of people, but she wants to talk about this group and make it such a bigger thing. So I think somewhere in April or May, uh, they're asking me to come in there. Absolutely. So we'll, I'm excited you know, for you. That'll be real great for all of us. This is for the world. And uh, God bless you all and love you all. Uh, and it's the same to you. And I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in today and every day. Thank you so much for supporting the Dr. Pat Show. As we say, as we end every show, I am so appreciative of each and every one of you and who you are. And make sure you step out in this week. Know that you're loved and know that you're blessed. Until next week, this is Dr. Pat Basili, the host of the Dr. Pat Show. Uh, have yourselves a great week, and we'll see you next week. 